Unplugged in St Kilda, where we celebrate three brilliant decades of Aussie music, the 1970s, 80s and 90s, interviewing band members who lived in St Kilda during that time. We've spoken to some great artists who have told us how the local area inspired them and why St Kilda played such a big role in shaping who they are today. I'm excited about today's guest, not only because of his musical talent, but also because of his deep history and connection to the local area. This muso was born and raised in St Kilda, and I'm looking forward to hearing the stories he has to share today. As singer-songwriter of the Painters and Dockers, and among other bands too, Paulie Stewart is still rocking today. Welcome, Paulie. G'day, Sal. Thanks for having us along, mate. Oh, thank you for coming in. No worries, buddy. Pleasure. Yeah. Um, Firstly, can you give us a brief summary of your musical career? Well, um, I originally got together with the Painters and Dockers. It was supposed to be for one night. And it's turned into 30 years. We, we, we got up because Billy Walsh from the Cosmic Psychos had to pay some parking fines and they needed a support act. And they'd lined up to play at this pub in Port Melbourne where the real Painters and Dockers Union drank. So we said, oh, let's call ourselves the Painters and Dockers. It's only for one gig. And we got up and played and... This is a true story. Everyone goes, you're talking crap, baby. But this is a true story. The guy next door hated the music so much, he jumped the fence with an axe and started chopping up the mixing desk and somebody called the police and the police came. Now, at the Painters and Dockers pub, there was one rule. You could do anything you like, but no police were allowed to come in. Well, they came in and there was an all-in riot between the union members and the police and the crowd and, and I was on stage with the microphone looking at it all going, I want to do this for the rest of my oh. life. You know? <laughs> <laughs> this is wow. too much fun, you know, and, uh, and, and that's sort of how it all began, yeah. Yep, wow. Yeah. And Painters and Dockers are still going today. Yeah, we're still doing gigs today. Uh, we've just reissued a couple of old albums and a couple of fans have put them out with bonus tracks. And, uh, yeah, there's still a demand for old punks. So, yeah, we get out and we play all around Australia still, which is good. But we don't ever play as much as we used to when Lobby Lloyd manages and he, he would send us out for, like, you know, six weeks on the road. Yep. And you'd play every night, but we don't do that now. Don't do that we anymore. might do six gigs <laughs> a year, you know, but definitely not as hard as the lobby days. Yeah. Wow. And are you playing in any other bands at the moment? Mate, I'm also in a couple of other bands. I'm in uh, the Dilly All Stars, who yep. are a band made up of uh, East Timorese and Australians. And I've got a very uh, strong family connection with East Timor because my brother, a St Kilda boy, was one of the five journalists who was killed up at uh, Balibo by the Indonesians in 1975. So for 30 years we've been playing all around the world actually, sort of promoting East Timorese independence and we've actually got a gig coming up at... uh, in St Kilda soon at Mimo and uh, yeah. and I must I love the St Kilda Council because they support a, a town up in um, East Timor called Swai. So there's a big sister yeah. city sort of deal happening. So that's great. But I also play in a third band, um, Sal, would you believe, called the Transplants because everyone in the band's had a liver transplant, which <laughs> and I had mine about eleven years ago. Yep, because. Uh, 
maybe those days in St Kilda in the 80s and 90s caught up with me a bit and... Uh, yeah, so I keep pretty busy. Yeah, 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 it sounds like it. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's an interesting connection with all the band members having a transplant. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah mate, mate don't go to the SP if you want to run into an old rocker. <laughs> go to the liver clinic at the Austin <laughs> Hospital. You walk in and it's, oh, Paulie, how are you, mate? And it's like, oh, oh whoops, no. I'm a bit too well known out there. Yeah. Oh, oh that's great. Hmm. Now, normally my next question is, why did you move to St Kilda? But in your case, you were already there or you were born here at least? Yeah, well, well my my father lived at uh, the peanut farm behind yep. Luna Park. Um, both of my grandfathers worked at Luna Park. Um, my dad was actually the bottler in St Kilda who used to drive his ute up and down the streets going, you know, bottles and people would bring out the empty beer bottles and he'd sell them back to the brewery, but he put five kids through school doing that and eventually moved us up to East St Kilda. But uh, if it was ever a birthday celebration or an anniversary in, in the family, we'd walk down to St Kilda, you know, yep. and and have a feed. You know, that yeah, was the big yep. deal. Yeah. Um, and do you remember much about what St Kilda was like when you were a child around here? Yeah, well, it was pretty scuzzy, old Fitzroy Street and... Uh, I noticed at the start when when you inter- in, introduced me, you said, you know, this series is, you know, about the 70s, 80s and 90s in St Kilda. Well, my dad was actually, um, one of his best mates was a guy called Dennis Farrington and he goes back to like the 50s in St Kilda and this guy used to run about 30 sort of big bands and would do all the weddings and, um, you know, cover cover all the society events in Melbourne, was a St Kilda guy with band. So my musical roots sort of go back to Dennis Farrington, who who used to be the barber in Ackland Street also, and he was, and his barber was next door to a Chinese restaurant and people would ring the restaurant and say, we need Dennis to get a band and, and the Chinese guy's going, go, Dennis, you know, you're needed, get up, you know, send them, send these <laughs> musicians out. So, um, yep. Yeah, but uh, but certainly, you know, as a kid, it had, uh, you know, St Kilda was full of these glorious buildings, but it definitely faded in its charms, you know, yep. and it was pretty sort of rough around the edges, you know, lots sure. of, uh, you know, working girls out in the open in Fitzroy Street and drug dealers and, and this new brand of people called punks who all sort of moved in. Yeah, yeah. yep. Now, how has St Kilda changed over the time? Yeah, definitely, you know, the rent, rents have gone up for a yeah, start. And, yep. uh, you know, there used to be a thing called the Thursday Night Crawl in St Kilda and you could start at the Prince of Wales, then go to – there was about four or five gigs you could do and it was all yeah. free to get into. So it was so sort of musical and there wow. was such a com- community of bands you know, unfortunately, because of COVID, you know, the whole live scene has sort of closed a bit. But St Kilda's still got its little little gigs back. I'd see that the uh, George mm. has got a has got a a little gig there, which is happening, which is fantastic. And yeah. um, but I don't think it'll ever be like it was in the eighties when it was um, it was cheap, so people moved in basically. And, yeah. and, and I have actually just moved from. Um, Footscray after 11 years, back to Alwood, but Footscray now seems to have that vibe that St Kilda did in the 80s. In There's a lot of 
gay crew, a lot of punks, a lot of creative people, and it's cheap, you know, and uh, and there's lots of venues. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, yep. Now, St Kilda must have played a big role in your life as mm-hmm. I believe you won a prize in the Essence of St Kilda competition. Yeah, I actually um, <clears throat> won it. It was an essay, essay about St Kilda and um, it was a funny thing, Sal. It was sort of like something, all I did was pick up a pen and this voice in my head just said, write this, Paulie, and I did. And it was sort of like all my relatives had put it all into this wow. one story. And, uh, yeah, and I, that was, uh, you know, you, you you won a bit of prize money and at the time I really needed the money. So that that was fantastic for me, yeah. Oh, excellent. Mm. Um, do you know if we can access the, a copy of it somewhere? Uh, or, um... I think the St Kilda Council have got it. Yeah, uh, got it. Yeah. It's online. It's called, yeah, The Essence of St Kilda. But um, I knew as as, as, as as I was writing it that it was sort of going to, because I just b- virtually named everything in St Kilda that I'd been involved in. And you're talking, you know, I used to be the chemist boy and the newspaper <laughs> boy and, um, you know, and it, it really had a marked effect on me too growing up in East St Kilda, which was very, you know, heavily Orthodox Jewish community yeah. and, um you know, all my mates when I was a kid, you know, on Saturday I'd be going, let's go and have a kick of the footy and they'd be going, no, 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 we're in Sabbath poorly and I'd go, oh, and then on Sunday that all be our kick in the footy but I was the altar boy at, ch- oh, you know, the course. Catholic church. And yep, uh, yep. I, I think what it did sell was right from the word go in my life I realised that there are people who live in the mainstream but who are really different, you know. There's these little groups that are not like everyone else. All my other mates were sort of surfies down from Brighton and, uh, you know, Caulfield and Malvern. But, you know, the the group I grew amongst, you know, their parents, you'd see, you'd go, what what are these wild tattoos they've got, you know, with these numbers? I don't get it, you know, but, uh, Yeah. yeah. And you went to school in St Kilda as well? Yeah, I went to school at St Mary's, uh, Sister Virgilius. I still think I've got a couple of her old belt marks across my ass, actually. <laughs> but uh, And uh, then I went to CBC, St Kilda. Oh, CBC, yeah. yeah. Where the Catholic, Irish Catholic brothers, were, you know, they were bashing me as well. And then... Uh, <laughs> But then I ended up because my father had gone to De La Salle College up in Malvern. It was a you know poorish Catholic school, so I went up there and yeah, did most of my education there. Yeah, but yep. my two sisters went to Presentation Convent Windsor, yep. and uh, and all my friends you know went to CBC or or Windsor Convent. You know, yeah. yeah. Now back to the music side of things. Yeah. When you, well, when you grew up here, um, did you start meeting sort of people who you'd collaborate with music-wise through St Kilda, or? Well, well, def- definitely a, a turning. We did that first gig, the Painters and Dockers, and we were like, "Wow, this is a lot of fun." And we got involved with this thing called the Gong Show that was at the Esplanade, uh, St Kilda, where basically. You could get up and do anything as long as it was entertaining, you know. Yep. And the bands all got p- paid in, how do I say this in a nice way that we're not going to get libeled you and me? <laughs> uh, they were paid, paid. the bands were paid in products that, you know, gave you a euphoric <laughs> effect, you know, and... Uh, 
But it, but this gong show was funny, Sal, because the ballroom, you know, Nick Cave, who is, you know, still to this day the god, you know, yeah, he, yep. he sort of ruled the scene and there were a lot of sort of, you know, bands that sort of emulated him and they're all in black and depressed and the kids were all from private schools taking their parents' Valium and, you know, wow, antidepressants yep. and we were more like... No, 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 no. Let's just get drunk and dance our asses off. And, <laughs> and that was that was the gong show. So other bands at the gong show were like um, I Spit on Your Gravy with, yep. with my great mate Freddie Negro and I think Tism started off there yeah, and yep. um, the Gas Babies and the Huxton Creepers. They were bands that didn't take themselves too seriously and, and the emphasis was on just having fun and that's where I learn a lot of the tricks of the trade and I learn a lot of important rules. Like like one for example, Sal, never ever say to a crowd, Oh come on, you can throw more than that on the stage <laughs> Because uh I did end up in the Alfred, you know, after being collected by about three chairs and a table one yeah. night. <laughs> But uh, you, that's where I learnt my lessons at the gong show, yeah. Yep. <laughs> Excellent. Mm. And could you tell us about any special buildings in St Kilda uh, from when you've lived here? So maybe a place you lived in or rehearsed or played? Yeah. Uh, well, I, 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 you know, I think the best place we ever played was um, the venue, which was the old St Moritz, you know. That yep. was just this grand, giant big room and um, lots of space and... Mate, I mentioned that I had a liver transplant. I think my first liver is still at the ESPY somewhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We played a lot of gigs at the If I had a dollar for every time I played at the Esplanade, I could retire. But um, yeah. the ESPY was certainly a very sort of special place and um, the venue was great. But even little places in St Kilda like... Leo Spaghetti Bar in yeah, Fitzroy yeah. Street. I can remember going there with my dad as a kid and... They had a picture on the wall of some sort of B-grade celebrity who dropped in to have a bowl of pasta. And I can remember I used to go with my dad and I did expect like Frank Sinatra or Sammy Davis Jr. to walk in and have, you know, a bowl of pasta there. They never did, of course. Yeah, but, yep. um, but I, I, I suppose, you know, I, I grew up fascinated by my dad's stories Um you know, right back to the, you know, Second World War where he said, you know, the toughest fighting in the war wasn't in the Pacific against the Japanese. It was against the Americans in the laneways of St Kilda over wow. local girls and stuff <laughs> like that. And, yep, uh, yep. and where my father grew up, you know, they, uh, you know, 5,000 US Marines marched, got off the docks at Station Pier in Port Melbourne and went down and camped opposite the... Luna Park, where my dad lived, and yep. my grandfather was a a really well balanced guy, big chip, both shoulders. Mm. <laughs> and my dad recalls the time he took on about eight GIs, you know, like just himself, wow. like you know, like so it's pretty wild and woolly. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, actually, my my grandfather worked for a guy called John Wren too, who was. Uh, a pretty notorious sort of Melbourne character. Yeah. Yeah. Can you tell us a bit more about him? Well, he he sort of um, started the tote. Well, he used the tote, you know, as a bedding thing. He, he was, you know, working class boy from Collingwood that ended up 
making lots of money and becoming a big deal. And But he was very sort of Irish Catholic and against the establishment. And um, my grandfather worked as his, how do I say this, um, not enforcer, not a protector, but he was sort of a big big guy who could throw his weight around a bit and sure, he worked for yep. John Wren. So yep. John Wren later ran uh, Festival Hall where they had all the boxing and my mum, their, their pride of place in the lounge room was a tea set that he gave them for their wedding. Yeah. Yep, yep. <laughs> wow. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Any other buildings that you want to bring up? I love old buildings. So Labassa, you know, which is this classic old mansion yeah, in St yeah. Kilda, I used to love going down there and checking it out and, um, you know, the place on the foreshore there at, at Beaconsville Parade, the old Spanish place on the corner that was used, it's been used in a million films and TV shows. I lived in, in that for a while. Yep. Actually, I ended up after one of those gong shows with uh, five of the members of I Spit of, of, of On Your Gravy and myself in the bath. <laughs> so that was a hell of a night too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can yeah. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> yeah, that yeah. was uh, pretty sort of wild. But but my you know dad drank at the Village Bell, and yep, uh, yep. you know my grandfather was a member of the St Kilda RSL. My dad went to school at the Sacred Heart St Kilda. Yes. So yep. um, it was ironic when years later I was you know involved with the Sacred Heart fo- footy game. Oh, you know, right, yeah. Yep. yep. So um, yeah, look. To me, it's always been the, the special place in Melbourne that had a bit of history, you know. Not yeah, not too yeah. many other places have got that old kind of classic sort of history to it, you That's know. Right. So, yep. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's got something special for yeah, sure. Yeah, without a doubt. And what would you say was your favourite venue to play in? Would I, it have been the venue? I think it was the venue, yeah. Yep. That was... Um, yeah, it was just such a fun sort of big room, great place to play. We, and we supported people there as diverse as the monkeys we supported, wow. would you believe, which was bizarre. Yeah, and yeah. Los Lobos, who were a big American sort of Mexican band. But also, you know, the the Prince of Wales, you know, we actually supported Nick Cave a few times and... You know, the Prince of Wales, We, when we were inducted into the Ages Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, yeah, yep. we, we came back and did a gig there. So that that was a special place. The, the, I think the one place I didn't like was Bojangles down on the foreshore, which was uh, always full of heavy guys that you thought would kill you, you yep. know. <laughs> so, yeah, that, that never sort of grabbed me that much. But um, – and – Certainly, you know, St Kilda in those days, it was full, like every second house was somebody you knew, you know, because yeah, it was yeah. sort of uh, all the young musos. And I'll never forget, you know, there'd be a gig at the ballroom and then everyone would meet at the steps out the front and say, right, well, whose house, you know, and yeah, so it'd yeah. go from the gig to the party to, yeah. 
Yeah, that's one common theme that's come up in a lot of the interviews mm-hmm. that, you know, everyone just sort of got to know each other as musicians and, you know, either either worked together somehow or went to gigs together. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Maybe just even a... sort of spent the night together maybe. <laughs> I'm sure my, that I think there was I well. think I think that was going down a bit too as well, you know, yeah. Yep. All part and parcel. We, well, we're all young and why yep. not? You know, like you know, it's all good fun and uh but no, they were great, and you know there was no sort of, um, you know, the police, they they weren't particularly heavy, you know, and um, unlike when we first went to Brisbane, and they were really nasty, and you know the, I never saw any sort of you know, gangs or you know there, there were the sharpies, but they'd sort of come and gone a bit, you know, and. I mean, what I loved about the the ballroom wasn't the the guy in the mohawk. It was the guy in the wedding dress, you know. And you went, "Wow, yeah, that's yep. punk!" You know, yeah, that is that yep. is. You didn't expect to see that, but but somewhere like the the ballroom was the first time I'd ever heard of things like women's rights or, you know, land indigenous rights, and you know, it was a real cesspool of creative ideas, you know, which was just as as exciting as the music, you know, and musically it was fantastic, you know. Yeah, 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 I'm sure it it would have influenced the music to mean that, you know, you could write in any style that you wanted or, um, you know, bring something out, put something out there that... Absolutely, and the beauty of punk, of course, is you you didn't actually have to play, you know, (laughs) you... Well, we couldn't play, you know. Oh. It took us about four or five years before we could actually string the notes together properly. But before that, you know, we used to get up the dockers and do like a 45-minute version of Stepping Stone by the Monkeys and that would be the whole set, you know, like that was it, you know. Yep. So anything sort of went in those days. But there was a real kind of... You know, there was the St Kilda scene and it seems ridiculous, but you cross the Yarra and it was a whole different, you know, sort of uh, feel to the music and stuff like that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And do you think that still stands today? There's such a difference Um, between... I I don't think so. I think, you know, nowadays there's no borders, you know. Nowadays, uh, you know, a band like Amel and the Sniffers can do, you know, six gigs at the tote and then they're playing in Manchester, (laughs) you know, like, you know, there's no sort of borders, which is uh, incredible, yeah. Um, And what about a venue to watch other bands play? Uh, Well, the ballroom, you know, I saw some great, you know, the the Dead Kennedys who ended up coming back to a house after the gig and Iggy Pop I saw there and Rose Tattoo who were great, you know, and Nick, of course, Nick Cave, of course, and um, a band called Grong Grong from Adelaide who all wore balaclavas and would eat raw meat on stage. <laughs> they were pretty good. <laughs> and Tism I saw a couple of times down that way as well and the Cosmic Psychos and, you know, I Spit on Your Gravy. I, I've always liked that bands that put on a, a bit of a show, yeah, show. you know. If, yep. I just, if I just have to stand there and watch someone wallowing in their music, no, I sort no. of tend to lose interest, you yep, know. Yep. Like entertain me. Come yeah, on now, you yeah. know. Yeah. When there's that element of, yeah, entertainment yeah, and yeah. doing something different, it really really does make a difference, oh, doesn't I, it? I, I think so, yeah. Yeah, yep. Yep. And what impact did St Kilda have on you and your music? Well, a huge – well, it gave us an opportunity to play and um, – 
because we saw other bands who weren't very competent, you went, oh, I can, I can do whatever I like, you know. So it really freed you up to do it. And, um, yeah, it, it, it was a fantastic creative sort of ground, breeding ground for heaps, heaps of bands. And, um, you know, so many people I know from those days, well, they're, they're the cream of Melbourne bands really, aren't they? Yeah. You know, they're like the Hunters and the Models and, you know, um, all those all those crew, you know, they're still playing. And, yeah, uh, yeah. And, uh, and that's because they were all around St Kilda in those days, you know, and it opened the world. It opened the world for not just the painters and doctors but for a lot of bands, yeah. you know. Yeah. yeah. That's great. That's what we're celebrating through this series. Yeah, so it's, good. it's wonderful to hear that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and um, what impact do you think you and your music had on St Kilda? We wrote this song once called The Boy Lost His Jocks on Flinders Street Station and <laughs> the train ended up in St Kilda <laughs> and that always got a big shout out when we mentioned St Kilda. But I suppose people would really associate us with St Kilda because we played so many times at the ESPY and at the Gong Show and, um, you know, it was just our local turf. Plus we all lived in the area, you know. We were always walking around here and... Um, like, you know, if, if if we ever went into state, it'd be like, oh, you're that St Kilda band, you know. Yeah. Not, not, oh, you're that Melbourne band, <laughs> you know. The, you're the, straight the, to St yeah, Kilda. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're the, yeah. You're those St Kilda guys. And, uh, and you know, St Kilda took on this status interstate as this mecca, you know, oh, I've got to get to St Kilda oh, to, to do some gigs, you know. Wow, yeah. you know. <laughs> Maybe when they got here and they went, wow, this looks pretty scuzzy, you know. <laughs> But um, I'm 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 just grateful I got to live through that era because um, nowadays for bands it's you can't play as much you know there's um, bands only tend to play if they've got a new album out or they're on tour but we could we we were playing three or four nights a week so yeah, in St Kilda yep. getting lots of practice it, yeah 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 everywhere you know yeah. and making a bit of an income and. Um, and people just, you know, there weren't pokies or gambling machines or, you know, the video, you know, young boys weren't obsessed with video games then like yeah. they sort of are now. So you really had a captive market, you yeah, know. And, yeah, yeah, uh, would be so much exposure too. So yeah. playing so many nights a week. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah. But I just love the, you know, the different sort of characters you'd get. Like one of the famous um, of all time Football AFL football administration straighters was a guy called Graham Richmond. Yeah, and when he wasn't at Punt Road, you know, coaching the Tigers, he he ran the ballroom. He was the sort yep. of manager of the ballroom, and I can remember meeting him once, and we were talking about Nick Cave, but he was describing Nick Cave like. You know, he was a full forward. Oh well, he you know he did well at first, but he's got to lift his game a bit, and he's got to you know, and you just laugh. Wow. And uh, you know, they came in with this thing, um, you know, that if they were going to have a later license, you had to have food supplied. So they oh, yep. they would put on this really really suspect stress, you know, ham and. And rolls, and that would end up just being flung around the room yeah, usually. And, yep. uh, you know, <laughs> I remember reading about that. Yeah, yeah, yep. that was sort of that could end up anywhere. Yeah. Wow, what a time. Yeah, yeah, it was. <laughs> a, 
It was it was bizarre. Yeah. Yeah. And why do you feel the suburb of St Kilda overall is or was so important for live music? Well, it had the venues, you know, it had the pubs and, you know, um, and it's, it was easy to get to, you know, that that's a big, big thing, get on the tram in the city, get, yep. end up in Fitzroy Street, no worries, and, um, you know, that's where the bands played, so people were encouraged to go to see bands in St Kilda, whereas... You know, were they encouraged to go to see bands in Hampton or Albert Park? Mm, probably not. Not so you know? much. Yeah. yeah, but St Kilda was definitely the the place, and for me, it wasn't any different from what I'd heard growing up. You know, my my parents, um, you know, went on their first date at the Palais de Dance. You oh, know, you yeah, know, right yeah. next to Luna Park, and. Um, you know, they. My dad used to get you know sly grog from this place up the road, and <laughs> so it's always been a bit. You know, it was. And I think because of the Second World War, again, yeah, all the Americans came here for entertainment. Yeah. Yep. You know, at Luna Park and in the in the clubs around the area, and it stayed. You know, so it was always been the. You know, the St Kilda's the entertainment area. Yeah. Yep. Which was great because then it seemed to move to, you know, King Street in the city, which is horrible, you know, yep, all those yep. clubs there now. Oh, and, yeah, uh, yeah. You know, long Viva, Viva, Viva La St Kilda. Yes, yeah. yes, for yeah. sure. <laughs> now, we've touched on this a little bit already, but mm-hmm. um, with St Kilda, how do you feel that has changed and why? Well, basically people like to live close to the beach, I think, so you got a lot of people moving into the old mansions and, and doing them up, you know, and um, it was funny, you know, there was that radio personality, Kate Langbrook, who was yeah. complaining that there were, you know, down and out sort of people around her house in St Kilda and I thought, wow, that's what it's always been like. You're the one who's moved in. <laughs> not, yeah. It's not like they've moved in but... Um, and it's a magical place, you know. What does Paul Kelly say? I'd give you all of Sydney Harbour, all that land and all yeah. that water, just yeah. for that one sweet promenade. And it's uh, it's brilliant, you know. You know, going going swimming there at St Kilda, it's fantastic, you know. Um, and I and that, I know that's why my grandparents originally moved down here because they thought. Oh, it's a cheap way to entertain the kids is to live near the beach, you know. Well, there's no tallies or, you know. Yep, yep. Or radio as such. They couldn't afford those. But you can always just say, go and have a swim. (laughs) Yeah, 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 excellent. Yep. (laughs) Now, before we wrap up, Paulie, I just wanted to sort of have you tell us a little bit about what other things you do. Um, You're doing a lot of work with refugees at the moment. Yeah, I work at a a place in uh, Collingwood, the Artful Dodgers, and um, basically it's to provide... Um, a music studio and an art space for for kids who probably can't afford it. So we get these kids, and and these kids can be from a refugee background, or they could, you know, a lot of them have got mental health issues. Others are sort of coming out of jail. Others are sort of had a bit of an issue with ice and stuff, yeah. and others you know might be you know gay and not quite sure of themselves yet, but. Sal, I can't believe how, you know, these kids come to us and, you know, they're quiet as field mice, you know, and they, and they haven't been so great in the proper school education system. Yep. 
But it's like going back to those days in St Kilda. Give a kid a, a microphone and a bit of attention, you know, and after two weeks I'm going, mate, give me the microphone back, <laughs> you know, next. We've got to get the next person up because they yeah. just – that's all we all want is a bit of love and attention, that's you know. Right. So um, yeah. I do that. But uh, also, which is quite bizarre, I, I work heavily with a little group of nuns up in East Timor yeah, because yeah. – uh, if you got two minutes, and sorry to bore you, but um, when fine. when I had my liver transplant, you know the the priest came and uh, gave me the last rites, and I was supposed to die basically. And um, I woke up, and there was a little nun sitting at the end of my bed, a palliative care nun whose job right. it is to sort of help you cross from life yeah, to death. Yep. And I was talking to her for about ten minutes, and then I realised she was dark skinned, and I said, "Ah, oh, you know." Whereabouts do you come from, sister? And she said, oh, this little country called East Timor. And I said, is this some kind of a joke? You know, is this funniest home videos or something, you know? And she said, no, why? And I said, oh, well, my brother was one of the guys and, you know, playing a band. And she said, oh, the Dilly All-Stars. And I said, yeah, yeah. And she said, oh, you guys got some food up to my village once. Why are you actually here? (laughs) And I said, oh, I need a new liver, sister. And I'd been waiting 18 months to get one, you know, because yeah. it's really hard to to get one, you know, and we've lost a lot of old sort of rock and roll crew because yeah. they didn't get one in time. And this little nun looked at me and said, uh, I'll get you one. And I went, you know, she's drinking the older wine a bit early today, isn't she? <laughs> but uh, I said, how are you going to do that? And she said, oh, well, I'll pray to the big fella. Oh. But if I get it, you've got to help the women and kids in Timor. Is that a deal? And I went, yeah, yeah, whatever. You know, <laughs> this nun's off a rocker. Whatever, sure. And then now, uh, outrageously, and people go, Paulie, it was just a coincidence. And I go, listen, you weren't dying in that bed. But yeah. next day, the doctor came in and said, this is amazing. This perfect, perfectly suited liver has just wow. arrived. And I had a you know, 12 people operate for 20 hours inside my chest. I can't even tell you what they did, but wow. I popped out the other side and yeah. um, <clears throat> now I go up there and and I'm mates with the Wiggles and uh, don't look at me like that. I am <laughs> mates with the Wiggles. My, my three-year-old would be very impressed to hear Oh, mate. Well, the Wiggles were the cockroaches. They were, yes. And, and they, they pulled into a hotel in Queensland night, one night the same time as the Dockers we said, how'd you guys go? And they said, oh, no one turned up. How'd you guys go? Oh, no one turned up. And Anthony said, in fact, we're going to get into kids' entertainment. Wow. And in a line they've oh. never let me forget, I turned to them and said, yeah, right, oh. as if there's any money or fame in kids' entertainment. <laughs> Sell wow. $98 million a year each yeah. they make. Yep. So, yeah. Oh, but, there's a lot of kids that love them. Uh, but they they are <laughs> Fantastic guys, what they do behind the scenes, because they give me boxes and boxes and boxes of their merchandise that I've taken up to Timor. There are schools in Timor where where the school uniform is the Wiggles outfit. Yeah, you know, and Dorothy that has dinosaur boots and, you know, the whole (laughs) box and dice. And so, yeah, you know, life has been a wacky trip, you know. And people go, gee, that's a far, you know, from the punk days of the Dockers to the nuns. And I go, listen, the nuns are more punk than anyone I've ever met. They're up at (laughs) 4.30. 
they look after these disabled kids no one gives a fuck about, basically. Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, they don't take orders from men and they just look after the sisterhood. They're fantastic. Wow. I, I love I love hanging oh, out with them, yeah. That's great. Yeah. Oh, well, I'm glad you made it through all that. Oh, <laughs> well, I know. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't supposed to, so. Yeah, um, yeah, it doesn't sound like an easy thing no. to go through. So, so thanks for getting me along today to share my stories. No, because, no, it uh, has been I, wonderful. I, I, you know, like telling them because I get a chance to, you know, yeah, there, there was a good, yeah. good chance I wouldn't. Oh, yeah. excellent. Paulie, it's been a real honour to have you on the show today. No worries, Sal. It's been lots of fun, mate. Oh, excellent. Mm. Not only with your long-term music history in St Kilda, but also the many things you've done to give back to the community in so many different ways. Oh, well, I feel like I owe it a bit too, you know. Like I've got a lot of points to make up for, I think. Oh, you've done really well. Yeah. (laughs) So well done. Thanks, buddy. Okay, keep rocking, Paulie. I will. Dock on, everybody. (laughs) Thank you all for tuning in today to hear all about Paulie Stewart's deep connection to St Kilda. One thing all the artists we've interviewed seem to share is that at some point in their lives, St Kilda played a big part in them developing into the musicians they were meant to be. And it's certainly been great to hear from someone who was born and bred here. See you next time. You're going home in the back of a This podcast was recorded on the land of the Kulin Nation. I'd like to thank the St Kilda Historical Society and its committee for the opportunity to carry out this project and for all their support along the way. The Historical Society does a lot of work throughout the year to preserve the history of our local area and make it accessible for all. Members pay $20 a year to join and receive three newsletters per year full of information and great stories. They have events throughout the year, including local history walks, talks and presentation of new research. See their website, stkildahistory.org.au, for more information. Our local council, the City of Port Phillip, does so much to support the magnificent arts here in St Kilda. A big thank you to the council for their funding in this podcast series as part of their Cultural Development Fund. Thank you for seeing the value of this project and, in particular, thank you to Sharon Dawson for your guidance along the way. We look forward to seeing the other projects from this round of funding come to fruition as well. Sending out a big thank you to the animals for their assistance with the promotional side of this project. The animals are a one-stop shop for advertising, brand building and idea generation and have collaborated with many companies both here in Melbourne and around Australia. See their website, theanimals.com.au for more. The Unplugged in St Kilda podcast was recorded at Big Ears Audio, 97 Wellington Street, St Kilda. I'd like to take a moment to thank Tony, Adrian, Laz and their team for doing such a brilliant job recording, editing and producing the series and for their professional advice along the way. And last but not least, I'd like to thank my wonderful volunteers who helped me put this series together, all the artists who gave their time for interviews and to you, the listener, for joining me. I've had a great time creating this project and I hope you enjoyed it. Thank you.